the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In the spiritual realm, a spiritual child of God, a child of God, knows that God is his father. And that's why Romans 8.15, Galatians 4, says that God has sent the spirit into our hearts, whereby we cry what? Abba, which means Papa, Daddy. Now that's okay. That's the way we start out in the Christian life, but some believers never develop beyond this. All they know is Papa. That's it. They know that they're saved. Some people have been saved for 5, 10, 15 years, and they can't tell you a whole lot more than they're saved. That's pretty pathetic, folks. Pretty pathetic. The last instructions Jesus gave to his disciples before ascending to heaven was to do what? Convert the unsaved? No, Jesus said to make disciples and to teach them to observe all the things that he had commanded. Salvation is the essential first step in the process that daily brings us into closer fellowship with God, the fellowship for which we were created in the first place. That is made possible by the new nature God gives to us when we trust in Him. That new nature will be reflected in our attitudes, behavior, and our goals in life. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida is our instructor. He has been serving there for more than 27 years. Now his teaching ministry has grown to include these radio Bible classes. Lately, we have been examining Philippians chapter 3 and seeking to apply what we learn from it to our own lives. Many Christians, maybe even most of them, are satisfied with just knowing they are saved. Their intimacy with Christ never deepens. And that is sad for two reasons. First, when we settle for salvation but do not grow spiritually, we rob ourselves of great blessing. Secondly, God is not looking for statistics. He's looking for disciples. The goals of a disciple are quite different from those of other people. Let's look now to see what God's Word says about our goals. Here is Pastor Steve. Story is told about a man who was on his way to a meeting, but he was running very late. You know the experience, at least I do. Hurriedly, he jumped into a taxi and said to the driver, drive fast. Away went the taxi over and down the streets, but after a while, the man inquired of the driver. He said, do you know where you're going? No, the driver said. I don't know where we're going, but we are driving and going there very fast. You know, now, uh, that may sound like an absurd little story. I suppose it is an absurd little story, sort of reminiscent of, if you're familiar with the Pink Panther series, Chief Inspector Clouseau, who says, follow that, that car, and the taxi driver takes off without him and follows that car. <laughs> but um, it, it really accurately, I think, portrays modern man going very fast, but he doesn't know where he's going. He's really going quite quickly, but he doesn't know where he's going. He has no direction, no goals, no objectives. He's just moving fast. Sort of like the man who said, we don't know where, uh, what we want, but we want it mighty bad and we want it mighty quick. 
And I think that's modern man. But there's a lot of Christians who are like that, not just the modern secular world. There are a lot of Christians like that, very busy, very active, always moving in the fast lane of life, but they don't know where they're going, even in church work. Very active, out many, many nights, uh, involved in many different programs, but they lack direction. They lack goals. They don't know where they're headed. And it, you know what it results in? It results in a lot of wasted energy, time and energy. But quite frankly, that is the 20th century church. What should our goals be as Christians? I suppose a more pertinent question is, is there a place in Scripture that specifically addresses the issue of goals? You can buy a lot of self-help books in, uh, in a bookstore on goals, but is there a place in Scripture that tells us what our goals ought to be as believers? So we could avoid this aimlessness, this wasted energy. Well, I want to suggest to you that Philippians chapter 3 tells us about our goals. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. We've been studying the book of Philippians for some time now, and we have reached a point, a chapter in which Paul is saying to the Philippians, don't let false teachers steal your joy. Don't let error steal your joy. And in the midst of teaching this, this church about uh, how to maintain their joy and not let uh, false thinking and, and heresy rob them of joy, Paul gives his inspired goals. He tells the Philippians the objects that he pursued the targets that he aimed at. And he tells them this in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He writes this, "...that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Now, too many times we just let verses jump out and we don't see them in context. And uh, I think we need to understand this in its context. The reason that he mentions these goals is to because he is making a contrast between religion and coming to Christ. He's saying that there is a difference between man-made religion, man-made set of rules and traditions, and, and coming to Jesus Christ and knowing him in a very personal way. That's the context. In fact, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 and then sort of fill this in. He writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision. Now, the first two verses, what he is saying is uh, there are some people who you need to beware of. Some people who want to come in, and we've said this before, but I'm saying this in case you're a visitor or you missed the messages. Some people who came in and said, you know, it's not enough to believe in Christ to become a Christian. You have to first be Jewish. You have to first uh, accept the Mosaic law and the initiation right into the Mosaic law is circumcision. And so that's what they were saying. They were saying that, that salvation is not by grace alone through faith, through trust in Christ. You need to add works to that. And Paul said, beware of them. Beware of these people because they are like dogs barking out false teaching. Beware because they are evil workers who want to uh, bring you to their own theological position. Beware of the false circumcision. Beware of those who would mutilate you is the thought here. For he explains why you don't need that stuff. For we're the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. We are the people who say Christ is enough. Christ and his death is alone sufficient for our salvation. But he goes on to say, 
Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. That is to say, if I wanted to, if I wanted to parade my own confidence in the flesh, I could have done that before I knew Christ. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And then he lists all the things that he used to be and he used to have pride in. He used to think God would be pleased with. He writes, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he writes, I was a Pharisee. I was the best. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. So he lists all these advantages that he used to have and all these things that he was striving for. And these really were his goals before. These are the things that really um, he put great emphasis on in his life. These made him look the most religious, wonderful man on the face of the earth. But look what he says in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever things I thought were to my spiritual advantage, I just throw them overboard now because they were really a disadvantage. They kept me from seeing my need for Christ. They kept me from seeing that uh, I desperately needed Jesus as my Savior. When I saw who he was and who I was as a sinner, he said, in essence, I dumped them overboard. I took a loss on the prophets to gain Christ. And then notice what he says in verses 8 and 9. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish or trash, or really you could translate this manure, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now what he is doing in these last two verses, 8 and 9, is he is making a contrast between religion and Christ. And what he is saying is, let me tell you the gains or the advantages or the profits of coming to Christ. If you think religion is so great, let's compare the two. And so he begins by comparing in verse 8, he says, in coming to Christ, you gain a relationship with him. He says that everything else, religion is just trash, but the surpassing value of knowing Christ is everything. Knowing Christ is another way of saying a relationship with Christ. Religion could never give you a relationship with Christ, but faith in him would do that. Secondly, and we saw this last week, secondly, he says you gain a righteousness from God. Religion could never give you righteousness. You, you would attempt to be righteous, and that's where most of humanity is. But if you really want righteousness, God declaring you righteous, then you must receive Christ. You must trust him. Now, that's where we left off last week. I want you to understand, when a person enters into a relationship with Christ, God does a work in his heart. God works in his heart. Not only is he declared righteous in heaven, that we call that justification, but God works on earth in his life. He gives us a new nature, and you need to understand that. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, you don't need to turn there, but you ought to mark this down, tells us that God has given us a divine nature. When you trust Christ, the reason that you're different, the reason that you change, the reason that you're transformed is because you've been given a new nature. And that's why when you hear people who say, well, um, I trusted Christ, I believed on him years ago, but I've never, never lived for him. You've got to wonder if they really know him, because if you know him, you can't help but live for him in terms of that new nature. Paul told the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Let's pause here for a moment to introduce ourselves to those who just tuned in. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
Pastor Steve is taking us one verse at a time through the third chapter of Philippians. And we are seeing how, when God changes us at the moment of salvation, all of our old goals seem unimportant. We have what you might call new and improved ambitions. If you're following along in your Bible, keep your place there in Philippians 3, but turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Paul was not the only apostle to tell us that we change when we accept Christ. So God does a work in our, in our hearts. He gives us a new and a righteous nature on earth. And when this happened, God reshapes and reconstructs and redefines our goals and our pursuits. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'm sort of building up to this so you understand where Paul is coming from on these things called goals. 1 Peter chapter 4, towards the end of your Bible, tells us that when we accept Christ, you're going to be different. The, the Bible doesn't even suggest that you might be different. It says that you will be different. It assumes that because that is, by definition, what happens when you receive a new nature. Your nature is your real you. It is, it is who you are. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. Peter writes, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the, the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable, uh, abominable idolatries. What he's saying is the time is over for you to have lived that way. That's the way uh, pagans used to live. That's the way he says that you people who I'm writing to used to live. And you don't live that way anymore. Verse 4. And in all this... They are surprised, that is, those who run this way, that, that you do not run with them in the same excess of dissipation. Now, let's stop there for a moment. He says, those around you, the pagan world, is surprised when they see a changed life. They can't understand why you're different. They can't understand that what, what makes you tick. Now, you have a different set of goals and values, and you don't, you don't run around like you used to. And notice their response at the end of verse 4, and they malign you. They're going to slander you. They're going to blaspheme you. They're not going to handle this very well. Now, why? One other verse before we get into the text. John chapter 15, very famous verse, verse 18 and 19. Jesus said, if the world hates you, since the world hates you is the thought, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Do you realize that the world hates you? They may smile at you, but when they find out what you believe and when they find out how you live, if you live a godly life, they will hate you. Why? Verse 19 says, if you were of the world, that is to say, if you were not a believer, if you were of the world, the world would love you. The world loves its own. The reason the world loves its own is because when unbelievers see the behavior of other unbelievers that reflects their behavior, it sort of reinforces that they're doing what's right. It's like the expression, misery loves company. It just sort of reinforces and justifies that, that that's okay. But notice what Jesus went on to say in verse 19. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know why the world hates you? Because you have a different set of values. You have a different set of goals. You have a different set of ambitions. You uh, are rebuked to them by the difference in your life. 
you now have a different set of goals. But what are those goals specifically to be? And I, I, I think sometimes we're real hazy on this. We're real sort of fuzzy as to what should our goals be. Now, in the business world, it speaks a lot about goals, but rarely do we hear Christians speak about goals unless you happen to get into numbers in a church and what you want to see the numerical uh, value be and this and that. But what ought to be our spiritual goals? Well, Paul adds one more gain to coming to Christ. He spoke about it. You receive a relationship with Christ. You receive a righteousness from God. But there's one more uh, thing that you that you gain when you come to Christ, and that is the reshaping of goals. You have different goals now, and we need to define them. This morning, we want to look at three goals every believer ought to have. No questions about it. Regardless of the business you're in, regardless of your background, you and I need to have these three goals. Goal number one to know Christ. The first goal is to know Christ. Verse 10 begins our our exposition. Paul writes that I may know him, that I may know him. That is a captivating phrase, that I may know him. But the question is, why would Paul say that? Because if you look at verse 8, he says, more than this, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He wrote that he had already come to know Christ. 30 years prior to this, Paul had entered into a, a knowledge, a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ, you get to know him. You don't just know about him, though you certainly do know about him. You know him. John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. But listen, now he is saying 30 years later, it is my goal, it is my ambition to know him. Why? There's a world of difference between meeting someone and really knowing them, isn't it? So world of difference Paul had come to know Christ, that is to say he had met him 30 years prior to this letter to the Philippians, but from the moment of his conversion, his life's ambition was to get to know Jesus Christ in the most intimate and personal way possible for a man on earth to do. His goal was to continually get to know his Lord better and better. Let me illustrate it this way. When you get married, you know your spouse But after 20 years of marriage, you ought to really know your spouse. And you look back and you say, you know, our love has deepened. Our relationship has matured. We know each other better. We were just kids when we got married. And now there is an intimacy that was never there before. And I'm not just talking about the physical intimacy. And that's what Paul means, that I may know him. That is his goal. And that is the the great direction of his life. You see, Paul wasn't satisfied to have just met Christ. He had to pursue knowing him as best as he could. You see, Paul understood what many believers do not understand. Apparently, they don't understand because I meet them all the time. Who they'll they'll say if you uh, that their definition of the Christian life is well, I'm saved. I'm saved. They think accepting Christ is the beginning and the end. That's it. And I think especially in the South, which is known as the Bible Belt, that's all that's taught. In fact, most churches just, uh, if they believe the Bible, they don't get off of the salvation message each Sunday. And so their people, they're teaching their people that salvation is it. It's beginning and end. Just accept Christ. That's not how Paul looked at the Christian life. Paul looked at accepting Christ as the beginning. And then from there you mature and you get to know him. 
We're to grow in him. Second Peter 3.18 says that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just knowledge about him. This word for knowledge means experiential knowledge, not just head knowledge. Sure, head knowledge is involved. You can't experience uh, Christ unless you know about him. You don't want to divorce the word of God from that. But it is knowing him experientially. It is walking with him. It is maturing. And too many Christians are here where they ought to be here. If you don't make it your goal to know Christ better, then you will stay an immature Christian. And everybody needs to turn to 1 John 2.13. Right at the end of the Bible, towards the, towards the book of Revelation, if you don't know where it is, ask somebody next to you, because you need to see this. 1 John 2.13 and 14 address a very interesting issue. Let me read 1 John 2.13. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. Now, in this verse, Paul, or rather John, lists three levels of spiritual maturity. He goes basically from, uh, or we're going to go from the bottom to the top. He goes from the top to the bottom, but I'm just going to reverse it for our understanding. These are three levels of Christian maturity. You are somewhere, if you know Christ, you are somewhere in, the, in these three levels. The first level and the most basic level and the one we all start out in is spiritual children. He says in verse 13 at the end, I've written to you children because you know the father. Spiritual children know that God is their father. That's about all they know. They know they're saved. And you know, that, that's good. That's good. But you need to go on from there. Let me explain. The Greek word here for children means little children. It means an infant. It is translated that way, an infant. Now, in the natural realm, the first thing a child discovers is his parents. He says, Mama and Dada. That's, the, that's basically the first things he, he says. He understands, he recognizes who his mother and who his father are. In the spiritual realm, a spiritual child of God, a child of God knows that God is his father. And that's why Romans 8, 15, Galatians 4 says that God has sent the spirit into our hearts, whereby we cry what? Abba, which means Papa, Daddy. Now, that's okay. That's the way we start out in the Christian life. But some believers never develop beyond this. All they know is Papa. That's it. They know that they're saved. Some people have been saved for 5, 10, 15 years, and they can't tell you a whole lot more than they're saved. That's pretty pathetic, folks. Pretty pathetic. There's a second level of spiritual maturity, and John calls them young men. Notice going back from verse 13, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. They've overcome the evil one. That's what, how young men are defined. How? Well, verse 14 says, I've written to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. The, these are Christians who have grown strong by taking in God's word. That is to say they know theology. They know their doctrine. They're students of the Bible. They've grown from spiritually being an infant to now being a young man. They're, they're spiritual young men, spiritual teenagers, spiritual college students, spiritual young marrieds. They're spiritually young men. They're strong by taking in God's word, and they've overcome Satan by that. They know the word of God, so they don't believe his lies. I mean, that's where a lot of people get tripped up. 
They believe Satan's lies, but they're strong and they're victorious in their Christian warfare because they know the Word of God. Being a spiritual young man, as John puts it, is quite a step forward from being a spiritual baby, isn't it? But we don't want to remain there. As we will see on the next verse-by-verse, there are some pits we can fall into, and so we need to move on to even more spiritual maturity. This is Peter Silseth, and I would like to thank you for listening today. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us through the third chapter of Philippians. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving there for more than 27 years. These radio adaptations of his expository messages come to you through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry made possible by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. We have today's class right there so you can listen again if you would like to. If you click on the archives link, you will find many previous programs as well. Also, we offer a free podcasting service and a complimentary newsletter. That's versebyverseradio.org. Our lesson today was the middle part of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at once, you can order a CD or a cassette. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Are you satisfied with your spiritual maturity, or do you want to know God better? Do you want your heart to beat with His? Do you want to be passionate about what He is passionate? It was one of Paul's goals, and on the next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve will have some great advice to help us achieve that same goal. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.